You're listening to Jewish Matters with Rabbi Jonathan Feldman. And I still, you know, wear the clothes that make me feel comfortable in Tel Aviv. And it's a really great place to for me to be who I am and to be a Jew and not be questioned on it. And that's one of the reasons why I love living here. And so on our Monday night series, which tonight is Sunday because we have a different uh, event going on tomorrow. But tonight is just an example of one of the, um, we have a question, what is the live Facebook page link? Um, uh, my the- name, Jonathan Feldman. Okay, so type in. So if people gonna- want to repost it, you're welcome to. I'm going to repost it when you start your talk, Rabbi, so that they can entertain now. Um, So what we do is we we take somebody who has an interesting Israel angle and something passionate that they could talk about Israel, whether it's something political, literary, ideal, idealistic, art. And we have that person talk about their passion for 25 minutes. And then we follow with a question and answer from the audience. Another beautiful thing about our community is that we always get open-minded people. So we get people who are really curious. They really want to learn something. They really want to understand something. And they're not coming to insert their opinion or trample down somebody else's opinion. They're just coming with an open mind to try to learn something new and try to ask questions. And I think that that's the best part about our community. And that's why I love doing events that are sometimes controversial because we we get such a mix of people joining from every aspect whether like i said whether they're observant or whether they're right wing or left wing we have everybody and it's a very comfortable environment so that's always very exciting for me now rabbi feldman made his way to the holy land uh about two years ago right rabbi feldman we just had our two-year anniversary on August 1st, so yeah. Mazal tov. So about two years ago, he came to Israel. He was previously working with MJE, Manhattan Jewish Experience, and spent his most of his life when he wasn't doing a lot of traveling, because he's done quite a bit of traveling in his lifetime, um, living in Upper Manhattan and serving the Jewish community there. And... Um, he is studied in Torah and has had a lot of experiences that make him versatile and make him able to reach a lot of different people because he has been a part of many different types of communities. And so that's very beautiful. And that's why we appreciate him so much in Tribe Tel Aviv, because he's been to a lot of places, met a lot of people, has an open mind and um, is always bringing, bringing the best of Judaism to us. So we're going to have him talk a little bit about what we can expect for Rosh Hashanah, as well as uh, we're going to share some links that we have to materials for people who are going to be celebrating by themselves, because by the way, we are likely headed into a lockdown here in Israel, and a lot of people are going to be celebrating Rosh Hashanah for the first time on their own. So without their mom or their dad telling them what to do. So hopefully whoever is with us, if anybody needs a little bit of a little boost, we're going to send out some easy to read materials with bullet points and explainers. And uh, we're also going to talk about how we can really be our best selves in the year coming up. 
So Rabbi Feldman, are you ready to give us your talk? I am ready to roll. Thank you. Okay. Okay, and uh, also if people want to ask questions, you can post it on the chat and uh, at the end, we'll address any of your questions. So good evening, everyone. And Shana Tova, or soon to be Shana Tova. And like many of you, uh, I'm not even sure where I will be for Rosh Hashanah yet because uh, our intention was to do Rosh Hashanah in the park in Tel Aviv, but I don't really know, even know if I'll be able to get there or get back, or if anyone who is more than 500 meters away will be able to go. So it's all up in the air. And uh, that kind of drives home one of the themes of Rosh Hashanah, that uh, we kind of expect our, our year goes along and life moves on, we have our routine, and this year we've had six months of pre-Rosh Hashanah preparation because we've had our lives uh, up, up, uh, upended. And this year, more than any, we are aware of the, um, the transience of life and the uncertainties, and even the, especially of our mortality. Uh, sorry to say it, but uh, you know, we go somewhere and we, we, in the back of our minds, you know, is this safe? What will happen if it didn't, if it doesn't? And where will I wind up? And so we're shaken up. So I'd like to share with you, to start off, a powerful, um, very powerful uh, rendition of the Yom Kippur service. And uh, here it is. And you'll recognize probably very soon who, uh, who it is because uh, you've already, you've, or many of you have probably heard of Leonard Cohen. And um, what I'm trying to share here, here we go. And people, what people don't realize that Hallelujah, which became his most popular song and exploded about seven, eight years ago, uh, it wasn't his first Jewish song. And this song is Who by Fire, and you'll hear the Jewish themes at the very beginning in the, in the musical introduction as well. Leonard Cohen grew, grew up in Montreal. His grandfathers were both rabbis. He grew up with a, uh, in a traditional observant home. And uh, one of his biographers said, when he went up to Leonard Cohen's hotel room to speak with him, he opened up his suitcase and out fell a bottle of Jack Daniels, to be expected, and his tefillin. And that kind of shows an interesting blend of his life and his Jewish life. So here, I give you Leonard Cohen. And uh, think about uh, the Yom Kippur prayer. As you listen to this, you'll probably recognize which one is from. I'll try and share the verses for you as well. I want to go in some 
there you go. Uh, I'll give you the lyric. And uh, nothing like Leonard Cohen to uh, pierce the heart and to feel uh, what he said was taken from the uh, High Holiday Prayer Book. And the prayer goes, on Rosh Hashanah it is written, on Yom Kippur it is sealed. How many will pass and how many will be born? Who will live and who will die? Who in their time, who before, who by fire, and who by water, and who by fire, who by sword, who by beast, who by hunger, who by thirst, and it goes on. So uh, this line, who shall I say is calling, Leonard Cohen said for him that expresses his religiosity, which kind of leaves it as an open question. Things happen in our life, and we ask, why did this happen? Did it happen because it's part of God's plan? Did it happen because I brought it on myself? Did it happen because someone else brought this on me? So it's very interesting how he opens it up. Of course, all good Jewish learning starts with the question. And as we come into the high holidays, as we come into Rosh Hashanah, how do we make it meaningful? By asking ourselves questions about our own life. And that's really the starting place. And so what I'd like to do tonight is to uh, look at the themes of Rosh Hashanah, see how we can make it meaningful, how we can make our next year successful, and then talk about uh, navigating the prayer book, whether you're going to be with a minion, whether you're going to be alone. uh, It's always valuable to kind of prepare and make the day even more meaningful and have be equipped with uh, having already thought through some of the ideas and some of what we want to work on for our Rosh Hashanah day. And what the day, uh, one of the main themes of Rosh Hashanah is, of course, uh, the day of judgment. Now, judgment is, a we don't like that word in our society. So let's reframe it of the day of evaluation. Uh, We are told that Jewish holidays would come back to the theme of the day, the theme of Rosh Hashanah being the creation of the world. So each year, the world, in a sense, is recreated. And that's the idea, is that we can't just expect, I was here yesterday, I'll be here tomorrow. And the analogy, although the prayer book uses the analogy of the king making his decree, and the shofar announces the king, here we go, get you in the mood but we don't really relate to a king so really we can think of it like uh, a strategic plan an annual review god is doing his annual review of the world and when you do your annual review you say are we on track are we following our strategic plan are we meeting our goals who in the company is producing and who's off mission who's not producing and that's the idea of what's happens on this day and so it says on rosh hashanah is established just whether we'll have another year what that year will be like what we're getting and so the opportunity is enormous 
I don't, I don't think it's just a scare tactic, right, by the rabbis. It's powerful to think about our own mortality. It's powerful to think about what am I here for? Am I fulfilling that purpose? And whether I need to course correct, as we said, to go in a different direction, to reevaluate my life, whether it's on a macro level, big decisions about who I'm going to spend the rest of my life with, what career I want to be in, what country I want to be in. A lot of talk of Aliyah these days. People are here, are making it, if you came from abroad, you're making a conscious effort to remain. So that's on the macro level. On the micro level as well, of looking at uh, ourselves and our lives. And we'll talk about that more in detail. So Leonard Cohen is driving home this idea that it's not life as usual. It's time to reevaluate, time to ask our questions. And uh, who shall I say is calling? Who do we want to be calling for this coming year? So Leonard Cohen does not quote the continuation of the prayer, which answers to uh, all these questions, who by fire, who by water. The answer that the prayer book gives is tshuva, tfila, utzdaka, uh, repentance, or I'd rather use the word return, prayer, and tzedakah, which we'll define in a second, either charity, good deeds, marvirin et roa hagazera, they can remove any negative outcomes, as we would say. So we have the opportunity to change our fate on this day, which is an incredible opportunity to have success for the coming year. That's what we're about. That's what we're, we're trying to address here. So the first step is, it says, to avoid the negative outcomes. Okay? And in the process of doing so, we're going to see that we will be give ourselves the opportunity to build more positive outcomes. So the first one, tshuva. Tshuva literally means to return. Who are we returning to? So I want to go through each of these and try and define it and give us some guidelines, some direction in it. So tshuva is we're returning, first of all, to the Almighty. We're rebuilding our relationship with God. Tshuva, we're returning to ourselves. Uh, finding ourselves again. And the rabbis actually give us uh, what I've distilled into six steps, which I call the six R's. Okay? And here you see them. Yeah, you have them on the, on the screen here. Uh, the first is refrain and reject the action. The first is put on the brakes. Houston, we have a problem. The second R is recognize what I did wrong. And this isn't just, okay, I messed up, I hurt this person. It's asking ourselves, where did this come from? Why did I act this way? Why did I break someone's trust? Why did I share something private that they asked me not to divulge? Why did I uh, procrastinate all day and not meet my deadline? So what would Freud say? Okay. So it's digging deeper to see the roots of where the behavior came from. The next one is repent. And uh, the Hebrew is 
actually vidur. So Judaism has confession. Now, the good news is we don't confess to someone behind the screen sitting next to us. We confess before the Almighty. But Maimonides makes it very clear that we, the, one of the steps of tshuva, of rectifying the mistakes we've made, is to verbally formulate, say out loud before the Almighty what we have done wrong. And that's a way of driving it home, of making it real. Okay? And it might feel weird to go in a room, close the door, sit down, and just start talking. But you haven't done tshuva if you haven't done that. So the fourth one is resolve not to do it again in the future. Now, this is a very hard one because when we look at past years, we kind of feel often that, well, I've got the same list of stuff to work on. And by the way, once again, I'd recommend uh, make a list, or three lists, rather. Things I would like to change in my life, in my relationships with other people, a friendship that has gone sour, a relative we're not getting along with, how to make a good relationship better. Pick something between us and ourselves, right? Bad habits we have borderline addictions that we're struggling with, whatever it is. And the third category between us and God. Take a mitzvah, lighting Shabbat candles, saying a blessing, uh, connecting to the Shabbat, and make a list in each of these categories. Put down three things I'd like to change with, towards others, towards God, towards myself. And then choose one. In each category, that's it. And the resolve isn't even necessarily, I'm never going to break my diet again, right? We know if I say that, what's going to happen? We're not perfect. So the resolve is, God, I'm going to try and improve in this. Set concrete goals for improving. Okay, if I say I'm going to be on the treadmill every single morning at 6 a.m., how long will that last? Say, I'm going to try once, twice a week. Okay? So choose realistic goals and resolve to stick to them, but they have to be realistic. And that's number four. Number five is remorse. And this is really the wild card because sometimes the whole process of change starts because. We know that something is off in our lives and we're just upset by it, disgusted with it, have made train wrecks with it. And we already feel like, oy vey, something's wrong. Sometimes it's a very cognitive, rational process. We look at ourselves, we say, okay, this has to change. I'm in bad health. I've got to eat better. It's a rational thing. But sometimes it's good to start there. And the remorse might only come much later. What if I don't feel a remorse? So one of my teachers once said, if I don't feel bad about something and I know I should, I can feel bad that I'm not feeling bad. That's already a level of remorse. 
Okay. So we can have remorse over our uh, lack of sensitivity, over our being so inured to the things that need to change in our life. That's a level of remorse. And finally, number six is restitution. And the rabbis are very clear that if one has done all the steps, but one hurt another person, and we haven't made good on that, we haven't gone to them, called them, written an email, and apologized, and asked for forgiveness, then it's not shuvah. We have to make good by anyone we've wronged. So here we have the first step, the first uh, path to success for the coming year is tshuva, is personal growth, personal change, rectifying what we did wrong. Okay, and that culminates in Yom Kippur. Actually, it's interesting because on Rosh Hashanah, we're not really invo- actively involved in this type of tshuva. It's a second type of tshuva, which is not addressing our what's wrong, but creating new goals. We'll get to that in a second. Okay, it's going above the fray. It's uh, we said that uh, you know the first step is recognizing the things that are off, but then we're going to get to creating new goals. So we'll come to that. So, but the tshuva process shouldn't just start in Yom Kippur. We started already the month before, the month of Elul, leading up to Rosh Hashanah. So that's the first one, first formula to success, tshuva. The next one is tefillah. And that's really, tefillah, prayer, is what, um, is what much of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is about. And part of the reason that we often struggle with the prayer on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is because we haven't done the work to recognize, to identify the things that we need to bring up with the Almighty. So we do this work and the prayer will be much more meaningful. Now, uh, later I'm gonna share with you how to navigate the prayer book, as I said, whether you're in a minyan or whether you're alone. So we'll look at that in more detail. But the first step of prayer is that we believe that prayer works. So what does it mean prayer works? So in our podcast on uh, prayer, and by the way, this talk will be on our Jewish Matters podcast afterwards. So there are two types, two dimensions to prayer. The word for prayer is lehit palel, which literally means to judge oneself. The first dimension of prayer is self-evaluation, but not just what we talked about before through reflection. It's by coming before the Almighty. If I come before God and we're supposed to ask for blessings for the coming year, because that shows that we believe that, the God, that God hears our prayers. We're supposed to put our wish list, but hopefully the chances are, if we come before God on the high holidays, our wish, li- wish list is not going to be uh, you know, the latest model, whatever it is. In Israel, it might be uh, the latest model Mitsubishi, and if you're in the States, the BMW. And it's not, you know, the uh, condo in Netanyahu overlooking the ocean or the house in the Hamptons. Hopefully our wish list will be the things that have real meaning in our lives. Let's 
success in our endeavors, they give us meaning, positive relationships, finding the right person, um, working out the difficulties we have with our loved ones. So our wish list, if we bring, come before God, we're going to present it, we're going to think about our lives and ourselves in a different way. That's why it's self-evaluation. But bouncing our ideas before the Almighty leads us to go to the places of what I want, not what I want, but what I need. And that's a more meaningful place. And in terms of prayer working, I just heard this amazing story. One of my students, uh, we were studying together, and he was telling me about uh, he had helped take care of an older woman who was very ill, and no one was helping her, and he for a year, he took her to the hospital, brought her food, would visit her almost every day. And uh, when she passed away, turns out that she left uh, much of her will to him because he was the one who cared for her. And the brother who didn't show up for the entire year and who she had disavowed sued him. And he was so upset because not even just about the will, but about the fact that all the good he tried to do for her, and now her relative is turning on him. And so he prayed to God, he said, God, you know, please just may this resolve itself in a peaceful way, and, um, and may it be quickly. So what happened was that one day the, the lawyer that he had to hire said to him, wow, you really... Uh, have good connections. You really know what you're doing. So he said, what do you mean? So the lawyer got a call from someone who said, you know, I need litigation over a will. Over, I need litigation with someone, not over a will. Sorry. So uh, he started to describe it. And he said, this person, you know, wronged me in business. The guy lived abroad in Italy. And when they got to the name of the person who this new client was going to bring to court, who was it? None other than the same person that he was defending against with my friend. So having the leverage for the other stuff that the guy had done wrong, that the guy was in trouble for, allowed him to get him to back off this court. So he prayed, and then a few days later, this incredible, there are no coincidences, this incredible providential connection of all the lawyers this guy reached out to in New York. And the lawyer just assumed that my friend had tracked down the other people who the brother had wronged. But it wasn't the case. So prayer can work, or it does work. But sometimes the answer is also no. So we've got to be ready for that. But... It's always valuable to turn to the Almighty and to pour our hearts out, to open up our hearts, to ask for the things we need. And we're told that can change negative outcomes in our life. Prayer can change the direction. And finally, the third one is tzedakah. What is tzedakah? But tzedakah is on two levels. Classically, we think of tzedakah as charity. And while there is a custom to give charity 
before Jewish holidays and particularly before the high holidays to help other people who might not have the wherewithal to celebrate. And this year more than ever, we should try and stretch to help others. And, uh, you know, if you don't really need it, uh, the government supplement or the government uh, payout, pass it on to someone who really needs it. So, um, so tzedakah can come in that form, and it can also come in the form of good deeds. And the Talmud says that tzedakah can save us from death, literally. There's a story in the Talmud, powerful story. The story is of Rabbi Akiva. And the astrologer told Rebbe Akiva, Rebbe Akiva's daughter was going to get married. He said she's going to die on the day of her wedding. Terrible thing. And interestingly, the first thing is, this is in the Talmud Shabbat, 156. And the Talmud is discussing whether, um, Talmud is discussing whether there is mazal or not, whether our lives are preordained. And Rabbi Akiva, interestingly enough, did not put off the wedding, but went ahead with the wedding. And the next morning, thank God, the daughter was well. The next morning, she discovered something. She pulled out her brooch from where she'd stuck it in the wall to make sure she didn't lose it. And at the end of it was a snake, right? In those times, the walls, stones in the walls had crevices between them, and its snake had been pierced by this brooch, and the snake was killed. So she went and told her father about it, went and told Rabbi Akiva. And he said, tell me, you know, you must have done something to have been saved this way. Anything that went on over the course of the wedding the week before. And she said, well, something did happen last night. So imagine you're at your wedding. You're sitting on the table, right? The dais, right? You're you're a new soulmate for life. And the party's going on. It's a beautiful reception. Corona times, it might be a little smaller than usual. Maybe there's 20 people, but okay. And out of the corner of your eye, you see... Uh, someone at the door who clearly wasn't invited and isn't dressed for the wedding. And the big custom, especially in Israel, especially in Jerusalem, that beggars come to weddings to collect tzedakah. Now, you know, you're at a fancy venue. Many people would, you know, call over the waiter and say, you know, get this security or, you know, get rid of this guy. He wasn't invited. He doesn't belong here. What did she do? She saw no one was talking to him. He wasn't sitting down. She got up. There were no more seats left. Took her dinner. Walked over to him. Said, welcome. Welcome to our wedding. Sat him down and served him dinner. Unbelievable. Daughter of Rabbi Kiel. And he said, now I understand. He said, that good deed you did that's what changed the decree, and tzedakah saves from death. So, none other than Rabbi Kiva has, tells the story of the power of tzedakah.
And in terms of good deeds, or as I said, in terms of giving charity, we should all strive to tithe our salaries, uh, 10% of our net income that we pass on to others. So here we have the three-part formula for success. Shuva, um, return. Tefillah, prayer, and tzedakah, and good deeds and charity. And those three things particularly, in this time of year, we should try and focus upon them. And to do more of them than we normally would. So I said it before that uh, Rosh Hashanah is about course correcting, but really the main focus of Rosh Hashanah is setting, not just rectifying the wrongs, fixing what's not working, but setting new goals for ourselves. And the sky's the limit. Brainstorm, write down a dream list of what I'd like to accomplish, of what meaning I'd like in my life, of what people I'd like in my life. And ask for it. This is the time to do it. To step back and see our lives in the macro level as well. So those are the main themes of Rosh Hashanah. And the question is, uh, this year, as I said, there are many unknowns. What does a person do if they're not sure they're even going to get to a service? How do I make my Rosh Hashanah meaningful? So if you're in Israel, fortunately, like Passover when uh, the close down occurred, it was announced that everyone should go out on their porches at a certain hour and sing the Manishtana together. So it's starting to go around, I've heard, at 11 o'clock in the morning, everyone should go out on their balconies and the shofar will be blown. So hopefully, no matter where you are, you'll be near a shofar blowing if you're in Israel. Outside of Israel, I'm not sure what's going on, but that's part of the power of being here in Israel. And the halacha is, uh, there are many different sounds of the shofar, but the halacha is you only have to hear one of the series of 30 blowings of the shofar. So uh, you don't have to hear all 100 that we normally do, but one set of 30 ideally you should try and hear. Okay. Now, in terms of the days, so the first night of Rosh Hashanah, the custom is to have a festive meal. And uh, if you're... You know, I'd say what we said on Passover is find a, uh, a pod, even if it's one or two people to, to in a sense, quarantine with, because uh, it's really not meant to be alone for the holidays. It's not fun. But um, the first night, what do we have? A holiday meal with apples and honey. And we eat these symbols to have a sweet new year. There's a whole plate you can put out, uh, you can find in the Machzar, in the holiday prayer book. Uh, and while we're talking about the holiday prayer book, so here I want to share some resources. The best is, of course, to get a hold of one. The one I recommend is the oops, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, the Koran Machzar, Hebrew English. Oh, can't see it. Okay, I gotta take off my screen share. In any case, it's the Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. Um, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur prayer book. There's volume for each. 
You can probably get it at Jewish bookstore. Um, online, there are many resources that you can find. So the first one is the pop-up holiday. What is it, Shanna? You want to post it on the chat? Yes, I'm getting it now to post on the chat. That's exactly what I'm doing. Just one okay. second. I think I might even have it on my... Oh, here we go. Pop-up shul. Uh, popupshul.com. And they have a download of a very user-friendly, granted abridged, uh, Machsor prayer book. So, uh, but they have in it the primary important prayers, and they present it in a way which is, uh, makes it interesting and engaging. And uh, they have a yogi meditation service even. So uh, that's a great thing to download, print it out before the holiday, and you can use that. If your Hebrew is good, uh, or Torah Stone has a downloadable Hebrew Mahsar, which is a little fuller than this one, because one of the main prayers of the High Holidays, and here is the structure of the prayer, is the Musaf service. The additional service when the shofar is blown, which has the three themes of kingship, remembrance, and shofar. There you see it. So did I show this correctly? Can you see the outline here? Shanna, do we have the outline? Um, I shared everything that you, I shared everything. Oh, no, hold on. Here we go. Structure of the Roshana prayer. Okay. So uh, most important in the prayer service is the Musaf service, which has these three themes. Uh, it's not found in the pop-up Shul Sidur. But if you want to find it, you can also find it on sifaria.org. Uh, we have that link. They have a link to a downloadable, the entire text of the High Holiday Service, download and print out, um, with an index so you can actually pick and choose the parts that are most important. It's not in a, it's not set out in a way that's so user-friendly. So, but if you want that as a resource, that is available as well. So the Rabbi Jonathan Sachs English translation of the Siddur, and he, by the way, has great articles, uh, introduction uh, to the holidays, and he's got a running commentary. Or you can use the pop-up shul, or the Ortor Stone in the Hebrew, or the full text in Hebrew and English on Sifaria. Those are the four good resources you can use to, um, to do it yourself if you have to. And uh, we're told that the main time of the Rosh Hashanah prayers should be in the morning. Um, remember that in the Amidah, the silent prayer, we add in, you see in the bold here, the special prayers to ask God for remember us for life and to describe us in the Book of Life, and we say the Holy uh, Hamelech HaKadosh, the Holy King instead of the Holy God. Remember to put those additions into the Amidah, into the Silent Prayer. Also, you can make your Rosh Hashanah day more meaningful by reading the Torah readings for Rosh Hashanah. The first day we read about um, the birth of Isaac, 
and the miracle of Sarah giving birth in old age from the book of Genesis. And the second day, we read the story of the binding of Isaac. So in each of these machsar, you'll find the citations for those readings. So that's another way to make it meaningful. And this year, interestingly enough, the first day of Rosh Hashanah is Shabbat. So really, we're only going to be blowing the shofar on Sunday. You don't even have to hear the shofar on Saturday. But I would encourage you to make every effort to try and get to a service. Um, some synagogues are going to be doing it outdoors. Uh, I, I'm strictly outdoors. The last six months, I haven't gone into a synagogue. But fortunately, near where I live, there's daily services outdoors three times a day, and Rosh Hashanah as well. But I hope to be able to be in the park outdoors. We will see what the guidelines of the lockdown are. The second night of Rosh Hashanah, Saturday night. Oh, so Saturday afternoon is the custom of Tashlich. And uh, that is also a favorite. Um, great story. Uh, student from New York, Michael. We were in Central Park. I was blowing the shofar Rosh Hashanah afternoon for anyone who might not have heard it early in the morning, i.e. they were at work in the morning. So this is in the evening. They come back out of work. We're walking through the park and we're blowing the shofar. And um, uh, this guy walks up and, you know, starts, oh, can I hear it? Starts schmoozing with him. And... Looked him up on Facebook afterwards, invited him for Shabbat dinner, started coming regularly. That summer he came on our Israel trip. The next Tashlich, he comes again. Young woman walking by. She wasn't even making Rosh Hashanah plans. Sees this group. What are you guys doing? We're dancing. We're singing. We're blowing the shofar. She joins us. She meets him. And... This is three, two years later. They're still together. We're waiting for, for some news from them, but they're still together. So you never know what, what blessings connecting to Rosh Hashanah will bring, whichever aspect you connect to, whether it's services, whether it's tashlech, whether it's eating the apples and honey and thinking about how can I can have a sweet new year. The second night, the custom is to eat a new fruit, and to say the Shechianu prayer, the prayer thanking God to bring us to the season. And one of the fruits we eat, we can eat on the first night, but on the second night, it's a good new fruit, is the pomegranate. Why the pomegranate? So as Shanna said, it's in, it's in season. And in Israel, it's not like in the States where you can get any fruit anytime, right? Dead of winter, you're eating oranges or peaches. Israel, you only find seasonal fruit. So for eight months, we have not had pomegranates. And now they're on the trees, they're in the supermarkets. But the pomegranate symbolizes the many pits, symbolizes how we are full of mitzvot for the coming year. So eating pomegranate is part of the customs of Rosh Hashanah as well. And um, I encourage you all to connect in whatever way that you can. And so it should be your blessings. Uh, I hope this has helped to navigate. If you have any questions on any aspect of Rosh Hashanah, the service, resources, uh, feel free to post them on the chat. And, um, uh, and have a, we say, Shana Tova.
the floor for questions. Okay, opening up the floor. How do I okay. get out of screen share? I'm trying to get out of screen share. Okay, so first yeah. off, uh, we had a question about Tashlik. Is Tashlik on Sunday? Uh, yes, Tashlik is. Oh, sorry. Yes, so let me correct. So when, when Shabbat, when the first day of Rosh Hashanah falls out on Shabbat, Tashlik is moved to the second day. Okay. Tashlik will be on Sunday, correct. And okay. if you're in if you're in Tel Aviv, of course, you got the entire coastline to go do Tashlich. Um, where I am in the foothills, it's harder to find bodies of water, but um, some people do it on their fish tank. Uh, okay. Some people even set up a little baby pool in their backyard or something like that. The, oh, I know in Betar, there's one family that has a little pond with fish in it in their backyard, a very small one. And the whole, the whole city comes to do Tashlik in their little fish pond. Um, okay. Rabbi Yossi is saying we should open the floor for Lachayim. Uh, oh, let's, let's, open, let's open the floor for Lachayim. Lachayim Lavraka. Lachayim Lachayim Lachayim. Oh, um, I just spilled some on myself. Uh, good sign. Hey, more blessing, more blessing. So Tashlich, what is the idea of Tashlich? So Tashlich uh, is based upon a verse that says in the book of Micha that we throw uh, our, trend, our wrongdoings into the sea. Um, and the waters of Tashlich represent, connected to thematically, the waters of creation. Right? Rosh Hashanah is celebrating the creation of the world. Every young Rosh Hashanah, we have the opportunity to recreate ourselves. And the creation started with, it says, the spirit of the Almighty was hovering over the water. So water represents purity, mikvah. So we're purifying ourselves. You don't have to jump in. Some people are accustomed to throw bread in. Some people are people accustomed not to throw bread in. But it's a beautiful custom. And it should be more than a schmooze fest. Often mm. communities will go together. Uh, this year we're social distancing anyway. But it really should be a moment of introspection. And in the prayer, many prayer books have pages and pages of psalms you can say and requests for livelihood. Um, it's all there. Okay, great. So uh, I want to open the floor to people who have more questions about any of the topics that we talked about. Does anybody have a question that they want to put into the chat? So Michael wants to know if you could talk a little bit about your Aliyah, but before we have you make a comment on your Aliyah, um, I have a question. I want to know what are some what are some ideas in Judaism about um, renewal and about being being the better version of yourself? So more than just more than giving tzedakah, um, are there any concepts in Judaism about what are best practices for becoming better or staying true to your word or getting on that treadmill every morning at six a.m.? Are there is there any advice in the Torah or in any of the books? Okay, very good question. So like we said before, like for Yom Kippur, look at our lives in terms of ourselves, others, and the Almighty. 
and correct those things that need course correcting. So for Rosh Hashanah, look at each of those areas and brainstorm. Say, what would be my dream for my personal life, whether it's emotionally, professionally, uh, romantically? Look at my relationships. What would be my ideal to correct in my, to take my relationships with other people to the next level, to recreate them in a better way, and my relationship to God. So in a sense, it's the same exercise, but to brainstorm and say the sky's the limit. What would I want, you know, like people dream about their dream life, their dream house. So this is our dream spiritual uh, goals. So that's one, one, one way to approach it. Also, certain uh, parameters, like we said before, is once we've set that out, choose one in each category, choose one thing that I want to work on with myself, with others, and with God, and choose realistic goals. Don't say, I'm you know, going to be on the treadmill at 6 a.m. every day. Say, I'll try, start out you know, in Israel on Friday when I'm not working, or in the States on Sunday. That's a realistic goal. Then I'll grow it to twice a week. I say, so, I say with working out, um, you should not you should not do a daunting or a scary length of time. That's what I say. So one thing that has helped that I've found this year that has helped me is instead of saying I'm going to do an hour worth of working out. Sometimes I really can't do an hour. So instead of not doing any exercise at all, I do 15 minutes or 20 minutes, especially if it's a really busy day. I say, okay, I can't commit to an hour today, but I can at least do 20 minutes. And then I do those 20 minutes and then I feel so good and positive about myself and it makes me want to, makes me want to try again the next day. And, um, I think that that can be adjusted for anything like, if you want to do more reading, say, okay, I can't do an hour of reading every night, but I could do 10 minutes of reading. And if you do 10 minutes of reading, you can finish that book over a long duration of time. So I think being reasonable. And I would say for prayer in the morning, same thing. If you say, oh, I'm going to pray every morning, do the whole morning service. Not realistic. Say, I'm going to try and say the Shema every in the morning. Say the first paragraph of the Shema when I wake up or before I go to sleep. That's a realistic goal if you haven't been there. So same idea, Kshana, choose realistic goals. That's what I would. And then you can feel really positive about yourself because you accomplished that one prayer that took you 30 seconds. And then you can, and then you can use that as fuel. Um, so I think it's really important to realize that not everything needs to be a long time commitment. If you could just add in one minute or, or one small little thing each day by the end of the week, you could have a whole chapter of your book read, or you could have um, a whole prayer finished. So, um, so the question about Aliyah. Um, yeah. I don't know if this is the, uh, the setting to really get into it, but uh, it was always a life goal of ours, a dream. Talk about, you know, brainstorming and, you know, being being willing to take the chance to entertain our dreams. Okay, it does relate to Rosh Hashanah because Rosh Hashanah is the place where you say the sky's the limit. 
The Almighty is my partner. The sky's the limit. So it was always a dream of ours. And then at a certain point, we said, okay, it's time to, time to take the steps because uh, there, there was a window, the age of our children, my wife's parents. We knew there was a window. And, uh, and we jumped. So it's been amazing. Probably the best, after marrying my wife, the best life and creating a family we have, the best life decision I've made. And um, can't say more. If anyone would like to contact me personally about it, uh, if you're thinking about it, always uh, available for that. And, uh, but that's the short story of it. So uh, I think we're, uh, we're an hour in. So uh, Shanna, any other, if anyone has any other uh, things they want to ask or add, by all means, otherwise. Uh, Michael has one more. Sorry? Michael had one more question. Oh, okay. Is there a prayer for Jews around the globe about respecting one another? A prayer, a prayer to gain respect for the other. Hmm. Okay, good question. Um, well, in the Rosh Hashanah, the High Holiday Prayer, we ask God to place His awe upon the people. And I think part of respect for each other comes from a place where we realize that there's kind of a higher expectation of us, right? Because when we're just left on our own, you know, yeah, okay, I got to, you know, I want to be respectful, but then someone hurts us or someone wrongs us or something doesn't believe what we believe, or I have the right to, you know, they're so wrong, I'm going to clobber them on the head. Um, I assume this question is coming out of the uh, fraught political atmosphere which is going on. So really, if we say that everyone has the awe of the Almighty on them, it's saying, and it says, and uh, that we all come together, we should all come together in one unity. It's in the Amidah, Silent prayer for on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, uh, the fourth blessing. It's actually part of the third blessing, part of the blessing of God's sanctity, and um, and so there we say we all. Then may we all come together to serve the Almighty. And so Judaism believes that um, yes, we should all have respect for each other, but really that's can come from a place where we're all striving to elevate ourselves. And that's how we're going to overcome the strife between each other, by everyone having a common goal. And that common goal is the Almighty, to bring God into the world. Because you can disagree about how to do that. But if you really have that goal of bringing the Almighty into the world, you will disagree with respect. And we see the Talmud is full of arguments. Judaism is all about, you know, uh, debating. But they say it's called a machloket l'shem shemaim. It's a disagreement for the sake of heaven. Not because I'm right and I get caught up in my ego. The high holiday is the time to let go of ego and say, we're, you know, we're going towards a higher goal. And if I'm going towards a higher goal, then 
I'm not going to trample the people who are in the way or even the people who I think might be holding back that goal. So maybe that's an approach. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you to everyone who came together. Uh, Rabbi Yossi has a final, uh, a final note. Um, when we're talking about five minutes to read at night, to go on the treadmill, I suggested saying the Shema and praying. And Rabbi Yossi said, for men, put on tefillin, for women to light Shabbat candles. So remember, we said, Shabbat tefillin tzedakah. So part of uh, the growth is in our relationship to the Almighty, and there's a mitzvah we can all do. So Shana Tova to everyone, everyone here, everyone on Facebook Live. And uh, tonight's talk will be on the Jewish Matters podcast on Spotify, Apple, and Google. And um, it should be a good year. And if you're in Tel Aviv and you wanted, you're looking for a service, reach out to us. We don't yet know because so the government hasn't finalized the regulations. We don't yet know what the plan is, but hopefully within a few hours, a few days, this is the new reality. The new normal is go with the flow, make the best of it. And I hope tonight has helped us to be able to make the best of our relationship. I, I also want to note that for anybody who has a resolution to be more caught up on Israel news and politics and security. I run a morning podcast called the Israel Daily News Podcast, and it's about 12 minutes on weekday mornings. Well, you can hear it at any time, but I do it on weekday mornings, and it's on Spotify, Google, Apple, any podcast platform that you can find. And I do a roundup of the day's highlights, the top five most important stories, and I always end with something lighthearted and fun. And uh, on Thursdays, I do an investigative report or a highlight or a feature on somebody here in Israel who's interesting. And that's called the Israel Daily News Podcast. So if you have a resolution to be more caught up on Israel, you can. Thank you, Shana. And I'd like to bless us, all of us, that we should have a year of blessings, of good health, of spiritual growth, and of happiness, and of... Uh, the world should find its direction back into good health and into being fixed and coming back um, with a consciousness that we're all connected and we all have to care for each other. Shana Tova. Shana Tova. Good night, everyone.